This is Joseph Gervaisi. I'm here with Chuck Therese from McGrad. It's February 16th, 2013. Uh, we're at International House Philadelphia, and this is part of the Loud Fast Philly series. Hi, Chuck. Hey. <laughs> so, tell me, uh, I guess, where you grew up and, and how you spent your early years. Um, how I grew up in the early years of uh, just, I was born in 64 in Delaware. Um, my mom and dad were married there. They went to school in Wilmington. Uh, De La Wars, the high school was called. Not Delaware, but De La War. I, I don't know why yeah. they pronounce it like that. Yeah. But so then uh, they separate when I'm age three. My mom moves to West Philadelphia. Um, I stay in uh, Delaware with my father. And it's me and my brother, and so we just hang out, and then we're back and forth from Philly. So basically, from 19, say 60, like 7 ish, 68, I'm going back and forth from mm -hmm. Philadelphia, not knowing that I'm doing that because I mean, you're, you're a young child, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? You just, you know, there's mom, there's dad. I mean, we're two different locations. It's, it's not as bad as it, it seems, other than when there's desperation, and that's normally when you're not getting something from my home. Mm -hmm. right, right. But we always had. My parents always believed in music. My father played tenor sax, and he had a top 40 R&B band, not just top 40, like rhythm and blues, like R&B. They played rock, they played, uh, not jazz, but they played everything that was current on the radio. Mm -hmm. And he was also uh, a PT instructor um, for uh, US Army. Yeah. So he was you know, actively in that and still playing tenor sax. And his mom, my grandma, Marion Trees, uh, she believed in, all of her boys playing music, which is my father, my uncle Steve, me and my uncle David. But my dad was the only person who took to the music. So he played sax, bass, guitar. So within all of that, that's how I grew up within music. So whenever my dad would go to a gig, he'd take me to a show. It wasn't a punk show, it was like more like rock, you know, esque or R and B esque, you know, all Atlantic City, New Jersey, wherever. So this is like late late sixties or early seventies. Yeah, when like he starts to take you. Yeah, in. take take me in. Yeah, so it's like probably like by age. I mean, because I started taking my kids to shows like the minute that they got home. Because you know, I mean, I don't I don't want to make excuse excuses for any single parents, but when you grow up in a certain situation and you see it, you know, sometimes you emulate kind of the energy that you're kind of elastic in because you know there's no fear of like why well, I can have a relationship or not have a relationship as long as two people that love me they love me so with me being a single parent also with my kids because I have four kids my oldest now is 17 like I've had all my kids have been in the shows so I had a pretty strong feeling that my dad had to have me you know placed in his life properly mm -hmm. from age you know zero on and especially when my parents split at age three, you know, so I had a life in Delaware with music, and now I have a life in Philly with music because my mom loved to dance, mm -hmm. and she loved, you know, just theater, and she loved all the different things. And so I would see shows in Delaware, and then my mom would take me to like the, the Super Sundays in Philly as I got older, like five, six, seven, and then she would take me to see the, we, I've seen the Jackson Five, I've seen Parliament Funkadelic. Oh, that's you know. fantastic. What year did you see Parliament? Uh, the Mothership Connection Tour at the Spectrum. And it was Parliament, Bootsy, Parlette, Funkadelic, and it was like one other band. And it was just crazy because people, you know, Chief and Weed, you know, Colombian Weed at that time. And I'm a little kid there amongst all these people in the spectrum. You know, it's a predominantly, you know, black crowd. It's, you know, people got stabbed in the crowd. I mean, there's like all different types of different things that are happening. And I'm just there like watching the spaceship and Funkadelic and getting into this freak show. And in most... Which is weird. I, I don't want to separate anything because Philadelphia is a very unique town. And they keep everyone together, but the radio stations back then, like we listened to WDAS because they all they always played. WDAS broke a lot of rock and R&B bands back in the day, but then they went more R&B. Mm -hmm. This was an AM or an FM station. Uh, uh, what I remember it was like F. It was FM. Okay. As far as when we were reached, because. Uh, for the signal to get to Delaware, I mean, I'm pretty sure AM could get to Delaware also, but I remember it was just being more FM. Mm -hmm. And that was when I started to realize what I wanted out of music, you know, because from age six on, I started playing drums. And my father, you know, let, but let me jam in this band. You know, although we were still going to shows, my dad was like, well, no, I want to show you the guts of it. You know, and right. so he showed me how to basically play a little bit of drums, a little bit of bass, a little bit of guitar. He just showed me the rhythm of it because mm -hmm. I never wanted to, never wanted to, wanted to read. 
So I figured like, well, maybe that's my punk rock aspect of just saying later, because my dad could, he was a trained, you know, sax player, so he could read yeah. sheet music, he could play, he was always practicing. Mm -hmm. And I guess I wanted to be more like, I just feel it, it comes from... Within. And your father was all right with that. My father was all right with that, that. Yeah. yeah. And then my mom was a real free thinker. And then my dad had a friend that came over one time, and I was at, after rehearsal, I was just talking to him about music as a drummer. I was like, what do you think about music? And he was like, well, only thing I can tell you, I'm like probably six or seven, maybe, maybe eight. Mm -hmm. He's like, paint a picture when you think of music. And I was like, and so I immediately saw two guys in my mind carrying like a paint frame, like a, like a frame with no canvas in it. Right. But as they were carrying it, it was like moving in time. And mm -hmm. So I, that trail led me to believe that if I don't see that in mainstream music, I gotta go somewhere else with it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that that was gonna happen. You know, because I'm, I was groomed to like listen to like high end music, and my uncles were into jazz and funk and yeah, the production, yeah, 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 recordings. yeah, it's like ten, yeah, and then they had great stereo systems because my uncles were really into buying everything Pioneer, everything you know, all separate yeah. components, yeah, and yeah, the whole typical thing that you would think of in the seventies, the whole weed, you know, muscle cars, you know killer stereo system. Black people were doing it, white people were doing it. The same thing, although we were separate because of political reasons. We were doing the same thing in the marketplace because there's no two marketplaces for this. It's a black marketplace or a white marketplace. Right, yeah. There's itemized issues in those marketplaces, mm -hmm. but you know, companies are making this gear to, to, to draw people in and we're all, to me, creative artists until you choose your path. Mm -hmm. So out of all that, you know, from the 67 on when I started to realize music and then age six when I get my drum set and I start playing and I start jamming with my father's band at age eight. We played at a place called Boots and Bonnets, which is right on uh, 95, right in Chester. The club is still there. And That's so, still there. Yeah. And then I ended up actually going back to that club, club to play about like you know eight years ago. But what I've noticed is regardless of what you show a young mind, you know, is, I, I don't care how strategic the planning is. The minute that I heard God Save the Queen or Devo, I was just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and then that's when my parents was like, what happened to our kid? He's, you know, he's worse, I don't know. Just weird things because I didn't, I already knew what was going to happen musically because I had already seen Parliament, I would already seen Carlos Santana, Rufus, Minnie Riperton, all these great, great people. And each artist was different and they all had a different show but they were only relating to one level of life. You gotta go to the big venue, you gotta see the big production. Yeah, right. And that, unless you had a you know, financial backer to, to always do that, then those shows started to dwindle off mm -hmm. because it wasn't that way. The Chitlin Circuit, which is like an R&B term for what was gritty in the South, and mm -hmm. the Chitlin Circuit just went all over the United States, you know, you know, playing in all these gritty, small Chitlin shacks. And that created this gutter, which is that's probably the first sign of punk rock because that's coming out of like the original thing. For how I look at it, it's like Africa, tone, rhythm, prayer. People get extracted, they get placed in different places. Then those people end up, okay, well, I'm, I'm in a slave master's mindset now. I work for someone, which we all do now. Mm -hmm. But it's just different. We're not like shekeled in anything, we're just shekeled in fear, more or less now, because of pressure, money. Yeah, expectation. Yeah. If, you, if, you get to, if you get together a band now, you have to have a Facebook page, Twitter page, this page, that page. Before you, you can get together a band and put out a fanzine, you know, screen your own stickers, which you can do that now. But things are more itemized than what you should be doing versus like we were creating what was done. You know, do it yourself meant to create it yourself, not to follow a certain pattern of it. Mm -hmm. Only thing that was, to me, that was. Monument, monumental in that was that the fact that you had to, when you got a record done, you were the person putting your records in your own sleeves. Sleep, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like the first McGrath record was 300 records. We sat there for hours. I got sick of putting them in. And yeah. we had to put stickers in every one of them. But then I realized, I was like, wow, each one of those records were, were blessed with, you know, I was 19, Zeke's 14. We're like a bunch of teenagers yeah. with a bunch of men just saying, you have 10 hours in the recording studio. You got to finish a record. You know, we recorded it and mixed it. It was done. We walked out that day. So, and I'm jumping around a lot because that's how my life was mentally. It's just that I got groomed for the success, but rock and roll never, the, the business of rock and roll never made it into the homes mm -hmm. 
of all these different people, you had to go out and find it. And a lot of people were afraid of rock and roll, mainly because of the death, the drugs. You know, it's just like I was really in this band called Average White Band, and the original drummer was at a party in LA. And someone dosed him, and the guy passed. Died. You know what I mean? My father was just like, you're not going to California. You're not yeah, I, mean, I guess if you're moving through the 60s and 70s, yeah. you see a lot of the brightest stars right. are plummeting to earth. Crazy. The level of, of drug abuse is yeah. astronomical. Yeah. Uh, which I imagine if your father's coming you know, through the army, yeah. he's a PT teacher, he's probably going to be a bit wary of this. Yeah. Because he's probably you know, a little more disciplined than some people are going to be yeah. you know, and in, then, in a music world. Yeah, and then, then with, within all of that, what I basically did with my music was to take what I learned from age zero, you know, establishing myself as a drummer at age six, and then applying it to my father's band at age eight, you know, I was able to play and then you know, do drum solos and do everything. And then, get into music and then my uncles were like, check out UFO and check out Return to Forever and check out Stanley Clark. And yeah. So as all these monumental records that are coming out, which have influenced the Bad Brains, like as the Bad Brains were being influenced as teenagers, I was being influenced as a young kid. Mm -hmm. and yeah, they're talking about the Jazz Fusion records. Yeah, the Jazz Fusion yeah, yeah. records. And even, and even the rock records too. It's just that what was out then, what sounded different made, made it easier for someone to go to the record store to, um, to buy a record, because uh, at one point when I was age like 14 or 15, I went to uh, buy a record in the store, and I lived in a predominantly, I went from living into a predominantly black neighborhood into an all-white neighborhood, which is like maybe four or five, three black kids in my school, and then four or five black, you know. So you talk, you're in, well, Delaware. let's go back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So Delaware, uh, is you're saying that that's, that's the predominantly black area, or the white? No, 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 basically, yeah, sorry for uh, skipping around, but more or less, through the, through the music stage of where it was, I was always going back and forth from Delaware to Philly. Mm -hmm. My mom always lived in West Philly. My dad lived in Wilmington, Delaware. We lived in a neighborhood called Dunleaf. That was a predominantly black mm -hmm. neighborhood. And we met a lot of opposition there, like people breaking in our houses, you know, me coming home and someone's in the house, like running out of the house with a sheet over there. <laughs> and nine times out of ten, it's your friends because they're casing your house and they're doing something because, you know, I mean, they don't have. So they figure, I'm going to take from you because my dad would bust his ass and go and buy a stereo set. And then all of a sudden, the next day, he'd walk out of the house. So he got tired of it. And, sure. and it moved me into a place called Meadowood, which is in New closer to Newark, Delaware, which is a predominantly white neighborhood. So at age 13, I had to kind of pick up everything that I learned musically, spiritually about myself, about my heritage, knowing that I'm mixed also. I'm not just a black person. I have all different types of, you know, lifestyles in me that mm -hmm. have been created for me. I just, for some reason, because of oppression, people don't want to do their proper history. So they just want to do the history that's, you know, right in front of them, which yeah. is like oppression at that time. Mm -hmm. So my dad was like, enough of us being this typical black family living in this oppressive neighborhood. I'm going to take my kids and get them out of here. And then that changed the whole thing because that brought in skateboarding. That brought in punk rock. It brought in all these different aspects of like all these kids are listening to Kiss. And then I started getting into Kiss and, and getting into all these different aspects of rock and roll. And so this is, is this disturbing your father to see, you know, as you said before, like all these different elements? Yeah, I think it was because he, you know, there was no black girls in my neighborhood. They were all, you know, white. And I just even hate saying black or white. It's just women, I mean, they're girls and you're a guy. You, you got to go out and meet people. You just can't be like, I come from this neighborhood later. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And that's like, no. So uh, as soon as my dad saw me, you know, embracing it, he was just more or less concerned, you know, for... I guess his son's, you know, business around other people that maybe he didn't know or maybe he didn't want to get a chance to know because he's just like, I gotta move my family out of the hood. It's this is too much. It's yeah. like I don't wanna come home to my stuff being gone, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But so I we learned how to adjust. You know, I had a great junior high, which is Skyline Junior High. And then as soon as I got into it was like around like age fourteen, so I guess I was like right at the end of my junior high school, I was hanging with this guy, Mark Minuti, who was a skateboarder, and he turned me on the Devo. And then so this is a late 70s? Like, yeah, sure. yeah, like late 70s, yeah. right? Yeah, like, whew, yeah, like 70, probably like 77, 78, in there, like, mm -hmm. somewhere in that, in that point, maybe a little bit earlier. And so we just, we were skating, I was completely into skateboarding. We had a park in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, so I was always going from Delaware, because there was a park in Philadelphia, but I just never, skated it because my dad was a little sketched out about Philly like he would I would come to see my mom but he 
was not into me just like running around on a skateboard in Philadelphia yeah. trying to get So when you come to visit mom, you kind of have to stay in, yeah. in the neighborhood yeah. that she was in. Yeah, because I mean, like, it's like, even when I go back to West Philly now, I mean, like, you know, it's like not deep, deep West Philly, but it's deep enough to where, like, you can find yourself in some situations if you're not, if you don't present yourself right amongst these people. I mean, mm-hmm. right. what I found out about neighborhoods that are a little bit more gritty, whether they're white or black, it's the same thing in the Northeast. It's like, yeah, Fishtown, Kansas. Yeah, yeah, it's like they want, they have a, a certain ethic of pride and respect. And it can be the smallest amount of thing, but certain people think you can walk in anybody's neighborhood and disrespect that level of how they carry on. Mm-hmm. Like, if you live there, that's one thing. Because if you live in a hard neighborhood, you know if you go off your block, you're going to get your ass kicked. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. So that's what we knew how to like stay into that. My father was like, no, I don't want you dealing with that yet. I want to have you in the suburbs. You go see your mom. You know, you'll deal with that. And then mm-hmm. once I got through the junior high and the high school days of like, you know, you know, from Devo to, you know, Black Flag to whatever, you know, I decided that I want to move to Philadelphia. You know what I mean? I have to like, I don't want to go to college. You know, I didn't, I, we had a punk band in um, Delaware called Jerry's Kids with me and Mark Benuti and his brother Joe, and we practiced at their uh, parents' restaurant. They have a Rubino's restaurant. It's an Italian restaurant right in Wilmington, so we used to practice in the back, and we just played covers, and we played mm-hmm. a couple of shows, and it was cool. I didn't really get a sense of it feeling like a band because I was already jamming with my father's band, and that was like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, that yeah. was like professional guys that could play loud, play great. Not just like, okay, we're covering punk tunes and we have to find an audience in Delaware. At that point, Delaware was not, I don't want to say redneck, because that's a, a negative term, because there's black rednecks and white rednecks. So it's all different types of country-esque people. Mm-hmm, right. But Delaware is a, a, a very complacent, when I grew up, yeah. very straight-laced town. And they weren't into a lot of change. There's a lot of artists, some of the best musicians I know come from Delaware, but they all get out of there because it's, more of a banker's town. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's really foster creativity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. It's, it's what it is, but it made a lot of sense to me to take all of that and say, you know what, I'm going to go to West Philly, where my mom is still living now, and I'm going to, you know, leave my car in Delaware, and I'm just going to get on my skateboard and find my friends that I used to skate with at Cherry Hill Skate Park. Mm-hmm. And those guys turned it out to be Zeke, who's Zagar, who's Isaiah Zagar's son, who does all the art, the broken glass art. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and Isaiah was a huge inspiration to me before I even knew him because before I moved to Philly, Zeke and I skated Cherry Hill, and, I, and Zeke's dad would always be at Cherry Hill, like wearing the craziest clothes back then, like long garbs, and I mean, he just looked like just some, not just a hippie, just like a really, like a spiritual, you know, guru. And I didn't, yeah know what Isaiah was about until I moved there and then Zeke and I got together and we were just like, yo, you know, let's let's get a band together because Zeke is the original bass player of FOD. Mm-hmm. So when I used to go to shows, the, one of the first shows I went to was uh, the show in Camden, New Jersey, where it was FOD, Y-Di, I think it's Minor Threat. Oh uh, yeah, the, 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 the Buff Hall. Yeah, the Buff Hall yeah, show. Yeah. That show was, excuse my language, fucking insane because <laughs> it was like me, Zeke, Bruce, Steve I, all those, we had a clique called Skatecore. Mm-hmm. And Skatecore, basically, we had a fanzine that we started. And our, our goal was is to eventually start doing shows because we started realizing that we had this skate punk thing. We didn't call it that because we just came up in punk rock as everyone else. We just wanted to have our own thing because our elders, Steve I and Bruce, the guy who you know, did all the videotaping, they were artists. Mm-hmm. They just weren't like concept people they could really do great art i mean they went to school but then they went back to philly they just came back to philly just to kind of like get into what the scene was and they were our fathers at that time because they kind of knew how to keep us out of trouble steve and bruce were the first guys to get the shows at a7 and you know which, was that? What was which that? is a club in new york okay. where like harley came up in from the stimulators his band mm-hmm. and harley was there the first time that we played and harley's from the chromax but when we met Harley, he was like 15, you know, he was like, you know, already a, a New York icon, but he came to see our first show. And someone said, yeah, that's great. So we got another show at Seabees, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I have the recording from that, you know, still from that. But the fact of the matter is, is like when I moved to Philly, I, my search was to find a, a sense of art, not just movement. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because punk rock was already there, and the Sex Pistols had already went big. It already it crashed. The Clash were, you know, Give Them Enough Rope was out, and a couple of the you know records. You know, they hadn't released Sandinista yet, so it was they were still a vibrant energy, you know, punchy band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Buzz got, Buzzcocks were there. Black Flag was, you know, SOA. All all these groups that were just starting to kind of like bubble up out of this scene. But what was going on in Philly was more of an art expression because now I'm seeing it's because of the early R&B scene, because of like, there were a lot of, you know, white bands learning black music. There were a lot of black bands learning white music and none of the neighborhoods would ever, you know, gel. But they, so they had to gel at the parties and at the functions, which, which is amazing that you would think that Philadelphia would supply a place you know, when the neighborhoods were completely against it, but for some reason, it seems like everyone in Pennsylvania is some kind of an artist. Even if, they're, even if they fear society or the oppression of society, we've always had a safe place to do us, whether it's, you know, retro psych rock movement, the funk movement, or, you know, the disco movement, or the, the you know, the, the roots movement, with the whole neo-soul thing, which mm-hmm. is like, no one even talks about it anymore because it was a movement unto itself, but for some reason, Philadelphia will give change to the to the mindset that wants to push it a little further it doesn't mean that everybody in the world is going to be like this is great but for us as an eclectic art city you know we have a lot of history that's just plain and simple with Sun Ra you know Philly Joe Jones you know all these different yeah, people national records yeah all of it you know yeah. there's, there's you know Hall of Notes, Todd Rundgren's from this area yeah, yeah. you know uh, Michael Zimbello who wrote, wrote Maniac and also you know, toward Stevie Wonder, he's from this, you know, there's all these different people that come from it, and there's other people, Jaco Pastorius is from Reading, so there's, to me, punk rock was just nothing, for me, it was just, just an extension of a, a group of people thinking in a certain way, and we were saying no to MMR, we were saying no to, and I, and I have enough, enough respect for MMR and, and YSP and Stern and, and all that because that was a part of my Philadelphia too not just the punk rock I remember like I felt that Howard Stern was us like was Philly because of YS, you know 94 YSP you know mm-hmm. he just created his whole legacy off of people that were just gritty for some reason Stern knew that he could go to Philadelphia and start a craze yeah, yeah. and he did you know and he still has that little following and I've hoped that we can turn you know, our world into what he turned his world into because he, you have to lobby for people's attention regardless of what you're doing. Punk rock people listen to Stern, everybody listens to Stern because it's, he touches a nerve on it. And I just think that that's what punk rock did for me is take music and just put a different hat on it. You wear the style under the hat, you know what I mean? And when you're ready to, you know, give it away, as you were saying earlier, 40s, people in their 50s, you know, they put their hat away, but you're still an artist inside. You were still created from the people that created the Sun Ra movement or the people that created the jazz movement before that or the ragtime movement before that. It's just Philadelphia, to me, has this connecting energy. And I, as a, as a musician, I would rather not alienate any history at all when it comes to Philadelphia because people just get told too many fragmented stories about Philly. And the punk rock story is the one thing that if we look back through the 60s and the 50s and you find out that certain people that are just messing with guitar tones and, you know, there's a compilation called Pebbles. Yes. And a lot of those bands are from around this area. And they have a description of like what, you know, one band was produced by a priest or produced by somebody in the church. I'm like, wow, these people were actively involved once again with this weird psych rock movement. Mm-hmm. Which is not a form of pop music at all. No, it's, it's yeah. fully experimental. Like, <laughs> it's it, may, like, may, it may seem like a little more comfortable and quaint now, you know, forty years on. Right, right. But at the time, you know, it's something very revolutionary. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I, that's what I feel more about punk rock with me in it because it's like I want my family and my kids to know that, like, you know, yeah, I'm doing things that are generated out of punk, but since you, since I understand music or what a paintbrush, which is I think is my mind, can do to music. Then I'm all about the history of what the mindset was of like, what was it like with those psych rock guys? Like, going like, yo, we got this sound. We want far fees of keys and we want distorted bass and guitar. Yeah, and we yeah. want a spoken word. And we don't want to be New York. We don't want to be Andy Warhol. We just want to be us. Like, 
You know, who was the person who started that? Like, who was the icon guy who just went out here and just said, no, I'm crass, without even knowing what the word crass is. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I didn't know what crass was until the band came out. Right. And my favorite song was Nagasaki Nightmare, which is like a really cool punk song. It has nothing to do with punk rock. It's just an experimental expression of people in the studio going, you know what, we're not a band, we're a movement you know, of expression. You know? Yeah. And I think sometimes people forget that punk is part of an, of an avant-garde. Right, right, right. Uh, and then maybe, in, in, for some people, it certainly isn't. But I think it's part of a continuum, you know, kind right. of like beats, hippies, you know, all, all, all sorts of people who maybe are in opposition to the yeah. mainstream. But there's, there's always threads that yeah. connect all these things, and it's kind of short-sighted for people to just ignore the threads that connect <laughs> yeah. them to the different things. Yeah, I mean, it, the information has to come from somewhere, because the bands that I grew up with, you know, out of moving here in 82, when I would go to shows, it was like Zeke was an FOD, and then he was a skater and a musician, and his father's an artist. And then we had another band called Caesar Terror, and that was the first punk band that had two lead singers, and Small and Tall were those guys, and they both skated Cherry Hill. And they're, you know, so they were skaters, and they had this, like, crazy drummer, this dude Jack, he was a fusion drummer, but he loved playing punk rock, so you got these two guys singing screaming it's like 1982 mm -hmm. i move in i'm going to shows i'm going to the east side club i'm going to anything that's available love hall and i'm seeing all this happen and all this expression happen i'm just like i want to be a part of this musically like all the people that i am now getting to know are all in these cool eclectic bands and because new york was so far mm -hmm. away i mean my, i had a grandma who lives in jersey city new jersey so we could go see her but i would always have to babysit my cousins because the, the women would go out, you know what I mean, and party, and I would never have a chance to go out and figure out. They'd be like, oh, we ran into this person in New York or that person, and I'm just like driving myself crazy because I'm like a little guy. I understand it, but I can't, I'm not the person that can just pack up and be like, yeah, I'm age 10, so I'm out of here <laughs> later. I mean, kids now today, they, they can do it because it's easier. You got cell phones, you can, yeah. you can go and experience things, or you can just click on something and get a gist of it. Back then, you had to kind of wait to, to um, embrace your freedom and either piss your parents off enough to either almost get kicked out of the house or not to just go and express your freedom as an artist because mm -hmm. they didn't know anything about punk and anything that was edgy to my parents, you know, which are in there, you know, I'm going to be 49 soon, so they're like, you know, 20 plus years older than me. Anything that was edgy to them, they just said, no, you know what, if it's not making sense to young kids, why should it be history to me and why should it be history to you? Like. If you can't relate to our world, I don't know what to do. Like, my parents had music, so that was our common bond. Mm -hmm. But for most parents don't have music, it's like, oh, well, this is on TV now. Oh, well, this is in the A-track. And now it's like, yeah. well, this is on CD. Or now this is in the MP3. It's like, I, I like it when you can just be an individual, you know what I mean? Because that's the most important thing, you know, because once you travel and learn about yourself, then when you get in the bands or you're going to shows, even if you're not in the bands, you know how to handle yourself. Mm -hmm. You know that you should, you know, if you have $100 in your pocket, you're like, oh, I can go see a couple different shows and see and take in all this stuff. Because what I've invested in music is more than that. It's not just about the money. It's just that you have to learn. you got to get thrown around. you got to have people telling you that, oh, that's over. I'm like, why do you want to get your band back together? I'm like, dude, I'm a musician. Like, what am I going to do, play somebody else's music? Like, if I wrote music when I was a child, and I learned music as a child, you know what I mean? Then that's got to be with me until I, until I die. Mm -hmm. Then that way I don't have to ever worry about like disappointing myself, whether I make a dollar or a million dollars. Whatever it is, my art is a part of, it's like my arm. Mm -hmm. I want it with me my whole life, you know what I mean? Every limb of my body is like every ounce of music in my body. I want it with me, you know what I mean, forever. Because mm -hmm. there's no reason for me to make an excuse for punk rock or anything. It's like, someone sent me a flyer today. Well, actually, I found a flyer on Facebook, and I have this huge show in D.C. where it's like go-go music and, and, and youth brigade. Not even youth brigade. There's a couple other punk bands playing, and Henry Rollins is hosting it. Mm -hmm. You would never see that in Philly, which is stupid because we are one of the funkiest towns in the world. But D.C., since it's so centralized because of the political regime around it, mm -hmm. D.C. goes, you're either corporate or you're an artist. Yeah. There's no middle ground. If you're in the middle ground, you're, you're broke and poor, and you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And that's why, like, Henry and Ian and Daryl from Bad Brains and HR and all those guys from the drug phase of D.C. in the early 70s 
cleaned it up and made punk rock accessible because DC was like, we're not having it. Like, you got to stick to the, by the rules. And that's why the Bad Brains left DC. That's why most of those guys left DC. But they all go back to create this essence of, no, we come from, like, Ian grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, went to a predominantly black school. So, and he explains that the song Guilty of Being White was written because it was like, don't, you know, you know, get at me just because of my skin tone. I'm just who I am. Like, I'm here hanging with you guys. Like, most of the, and he admits, most of my friends were black. Mm -hmm. And most of the kids that love his stuff, that put X's on their hands, don't even realize that they haven't even gone into the history of finding out, like, why would Ian write powerful music? Because he's growing up around people that love music that are extremely powerful as artists anyway, whether you're white or black, being in DC. It's a groove-based town. So Minor Threat had a hell of a punk rock and hardcore groove. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they learn from the Bad Brains because he's hanging out with Daryl, and Daryl's like a wicked musician, wicked guitar player, can already understand songwriting. So I can imagine Ian's head just blowing up. <laughs> right. And like, I'm gonna start my band now. Yeah. And then Minor Threat comes out and you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. And, and we played our first show with Minor Threat at Love Hall, and just to see that band live before then and then play a show with them, it was just like, wow, man, these guys have martial half stacks. I mean, they're like, they're like yoked. They're not a punk rock band, they're not a hardcore band. They're just a great fucking band. Yeah. And from top to bottom. And most of these kids will never be able to see that live. That sucks. Because what they're seeing now is every, it's, it's like we've just emulated just the pie. We just keep cutting it down yeah yeah you know what I mean it's just like it started from the, the essence of blues and then it went through its phase and psyched out and then all of a sudden punk rockers picked it up and just said no we're gonna put our stamp of approval on it but two of the, the biggest you know the two of the groups that have the most influence pretty much minor threat and bad brains I mean you can't really go in the punk rock or hardcore without mentioning those two bands because of how much music they covered in a short amount of time Mind mm -hmm. it was only together for I bet, what, four or five years, maybe. I mean, yeah. not even. I mean, and then once they were done, Ian was like, "Later, bang," because he would go to. You know, I was at a show in Reseda, California, where he was playing and doing. You know, more of his other stuff. The other band that he was in, I can't remember the name. But Fugazi, Fugazi. Fugazi. Yeah, yeah. And he had a band from DC Open, and the singer was really feminine and was just doing his whole thing. And he was a shudder to think. I don't know if it was shudder to think. That guy was particularly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So this kid, somebody out of the audience throws a metal ashtray on stage. I'm in California. This is like 80, no, that's like 88. Cuts the guy right in the middle of his face. Ian stops the show and was just like, are you serious? Like, he like literally walked out on stage and was like, dude, I'm not a part of your movement. Like, this is like... Yeah, it must be really depressing to kind of play a part in something that ultimately becomes right. violent and the, the serpent eating its own tail. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, Watts says it at the end of the, you know, the Minutemen, you know, documentary, you know, he's like, the film, he's like, you guys missed the whole point. And I saw Minutemen at Love Hall. It was like, insane watching, like, for me to you, watching D. Boone, Watt, and the drummer, like, play funk, like, and, and kill it. No, and we're just... Paid five dollars and everybody, no one's slamming. We're just looking at these guys going, and I'm telling, I'm thinking to my dad, like, Dad, punk rockers are playing James Brown. They're they're killing it. He would have never yeah, believed yeah. it, but I'm sitting there watching it because I'm watching, you know, the drummer's hands, and, and I'm not watching his hands. I'm watching how he's holding his sticks. I'm watching his shoulders. I'm watching his anatomy. He's digging in, and then I finally meet up with Watt. You know. Wait, you know, years later we did a thing called Check One Two, which is me, him, and Ray Barbie for um, not Fuel, maybe for, for actually for Fuel TV, where we went into this punk rock house in um, where in San Pedro, California, where they did shows, and so we would just go in there and, and jam and hang out, and then they they filmed it. But in the rehearsal space, I started talking to Mike about what he thought LA was, and he was like, when I came up in LA, we would drive from San Pedro you know, go over the mountain, and then we would go see Coltrane, and then we would see Dizzy, and then we would see this person, we'd go see Elvin, we see the, I'm like, okay, someone's got the history all wrong, completely wrong. Mike Watt is like probably the most badass bass player for one in punk rock, one of the most musical bass players, completely out there, is still vibrant in the music scene as a, as a, a man, you know, practically almost lost his life, but 
to do one and said, you know what, I'm not going to stay in San Pedro. I can play surf music in the benches. I'm going to go check what these East Coast cats are doing while they're in L.A. And he would just push himself to do it. So when he finally got together with D. Boone, he met a, a kindred spirit of that same thing. And those guys were like, we are not punk rock. We'll play to these people because of SST and, you know, you know all the guys down there, Greg, Henry. I mean, they all, we all stuck together. But the people that wanted to embrace musically what was going on, I mean, they took it to the next level. And it, and it sucks to even think that people wouldn't understand the Minutemen for what they really were. It's just like, we were blessed to have a band like that. And also the big boys, or also like, you know, Agent Orange, or, or any, any of the oddball bands that were out there, like kind of shaping another, you know, like kind of like fence around what they believed in. And you couldn't just walk through the fence, you had to kind of jump over it, because they had to jump over it. You know, not every band just wants to, you know, give you blistering bar chords and a great guitar tone, because not everybody can afford that. Not everybody can even hear that. I mean, that plug a guitar into an amp and get a great tone, like, you know, a minor threat tone. I mean, you really have to go in and live that tone. You just can't assume it, you know? And that scares a lot of people. Like, I can spend two, $3,000 and still sound like shit. And yeah, you can. It's very easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, just because you have a Lamborghini doesn't mean you're a race car driver. Right, right, exactly. You drive down the street fast, or yeah. just because you have a hot girl doesn't mean you're a pimp. You just know how to entertain love in a certain way, and you love beauty, mm -hmm. you know? But there's certain people who love beauty, and they just expand from the love. And I wanted to be a part of that crew that just went out and just pushed from it. And, I, and then I end up meeting those guys, and the, the Watts, and you know what I mean? And, and watching that, and then end up playing in the Bad Brains myself, and, and going to see them, and you know what I mean? Just, yeah. But you touched on something that, that I like to get at in the interviews, is that you're, you saw at the time you know, your early involvement is this is this is the thing, like right. this is the thing that's happening and you clearly like have an appreciation as it's unfolding around you for like how important it is yeah. at the time, you know, that you can see like this is this is something real that's happening now and I'm a part of it at its very beginning, yeah. you know, and it's not as um you know, uh regimented. Yeah. You know? It it can go in these different directions and yeah. you know, you you see these people their musical interests are kind of all over the place, you know, yeah. not just like listening to the 12 generations later of different permutations. Of the yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I learned most of that once again from Philly because there's a band, um, the drummer was Jim Anisis, who was like a really good avant-garde out there drummer, but they had a band called The Stickmen, and The Stickmen were a really progressive funk, punk band that most of those bands, it was The Stickmen, uh, Mr. Maida, Buddy Drums, uh, Timmy Dredd, who was like Timmy the Dub Warriors, mm -hmm. and a couple other bands, they all came out of the Hot Club, which was like like around 20th and South. In the Hot Club, I think Judas Priest had played there the first time through. All, like pretty much all the big rock bands, as they played CBs, they you know they played you know the Hot Club. At that point, Dobbs, I guess they were Dobbs was the first club on South Street because of how uh, I guess the people, the Navy guys would come in and, and they needed a place to go hang and, and, and do their thing. Mm -hmm. So the Dobbs was that. But for some reason, the punk scene, the original, from what I heard, started from the Hot Club. And all those guys were extensions of the weird jazz funk scene, but they all kind of moved there. And once they kind of grew up and grew out of it, then we moved in and then Love Hall happened and all these other places. And well, there's a lot, a couple of shows that I missed. There was a Bad Brain show that I missed before I, that I moved to Philly. That was in early '82. That was all, and there was like some huge ride where people were like had to like scurry under the streets and nuts. I mean, like people were telling me wild stories, but like they actually were crawling in manholes to like get away from. For some reason, I guess the rides back then were pretty, you know, crazy. Well, who was it? Was it within the show? Like the people at the show? Yes, I guess supposedly. I guess it was like supposedly there was a bad brain show. It was it was good inside of the show, and then I guess when the show let out, which was normally would happen a lot in Philly because of like, you know, most of the you know kids from the Italians or in the rough Irish neighborhoods or rough black neighborhoods, when we would have to go to a venue because you know of you know we were loud, raucous kids, so we had to go and do shows where they were crazy. That's when they would meet a lot of resistance. You know, Club Pizzazz was like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's where I first started going to yeah. shows, and yeah, that was a pretty rough neighborhood. Crazy rough. Yeah. That's when it was out of hand, because it was like young kids pissed off, like really, really pissed off. You know what I mean? That's when I started to realize that Philly started to get this rep, like, okay, when you go there, like, check yourself. You know what I mean? Cause, and DC was the same way. You just couldn't go. There's many times we'd be in DC driving, and someone would pull up and be like, hey, uh, 
get put me in your car. I'll show you how to get out of here. Like literally, people will roll up on you. Yeah, yeah. And we have gear in the back of the car, and we have to look at them like, no, nah, we're from Philly. We know your shit. Sorry. Like you're not you're not getting in this car because if you do, you may not get out of it. Yeah, I remember coming into Club Disaster in that area yeah. as a really young person, and you know, being pretty terrified that like. Here, here are the punks, but everybody around here is yeah, not necessarily was, my friend. That was and, gnarly. Yeah, that was, yeah. Pizzazz was gnarly. I, mean, I saw Scream there and a couple of the bands that was good, but after a certain point, it just got really heavy, you know, because these kids are like, once again, it's like when you deny, to me, when you deny an artist's city of its natural history and its, its, its resources to get that history to people, then they're pissed off because not everybody wants to be completely wealthy, you know, not everybody wants to be whatever, you know, they just want to live and, and get exposed. And everybody, to me, that has a knack of doing something negative is missing something, there's a vitamin of life missing. Because, I mean, we all make mistakes. But for me to say that it would have been better for me to be ignorant and not explore punk rock back in the 80s, I'd be like, wow, I would have lost out. Because what's happening now is good, it's cool, auto-tuning, you know, digital files, the whole thing, sharing, friends, poking, Twitter, Instagram. If you realize there's more retrospect going on on the internet right now than anything else, mm -hmm. and if anything is new, it's so jacked up high that I don't even understand where the history lesson is going to be for people because it's going to be so glossy and so intense that it's just like all it seems like is, well, it's got to be bigger and brighter. And it's like, well, no, it's like it's, it's, it should go back to like, the person with the song and the anthem, even if you're wealthy, it's like, oh, I just got my heart crushed today. I gotta go write a song that makes the person feel like they're inside my heart. That's mm -hmm. like punk rock, you know what I mean? But you're also talking about when you're physically putting these records together. Like right. You're part of the creative process that right. begins with, your, say, your brain and your heart. Right and ends in a, in a product and you're kind of part, you know, you see this whole thing through. Right. I think a lot of people really distance from the process, yes. you know, and maybe don't have the same sense of satisfaction that they physically created something because they're so far removed from all the different levels, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, I just think that with, with, with people in general, we all need a sense of art because everything that we do is art. Like looking at your shirt, it's, it's art driven, you know what I mean? It's like if, if someone were not to do that, and, it would look weird, and the only reason why I said this is because I, I, a good friend of mine, named Susan Morris, is a great stitcher, great with clothes. I just would study her and her hands when she would touch a piece of cloth, and and she came up in punk rock days because her brother Andy played in McGrath during the absence of sanity days, and were playing CBs, and she was also going to CBs when she was age 15, 16, 17, hanging with us. You know what I mean? But it's amazing to see what a punk rock lifestyle, could, could that, what it can do for someone that has a raw talent, someone like Susan, that was great with her hands, amazing, and then her mind goes to that. And that's a sense of art that's lost, that you can have a seamstress take a piece of clothing. If you put a seamstress in every neighborhood, no one would go without clothes. Because mm -hmm. there's tons of fabric laying around, but you need, once again, you need that punk rock artsy history, not just punk rock. Punk rock meaning you have to break the mold to get to your hands, to get to the creative source. No one has to be a genius or some kind of savant to use your hands. It's just a process of eliminating the error in that. Right. And a desire to, to actually physically do yeah. something, to not think that if I don't have this piece of paper, right. I can't create this thing. If right. I don't go through this process that someone else has laid out before me, right. I can't get there. But there's these other little paths that you can go on right. and then you still create this, this thing. Yeah, exactly. And so it's nice to have a community that, that values that. Yeah, I, I think that that would be amazing for for it to come back because it, it's everything is. I don't want to say separate, and my the kind of my era of judging is I'm leaning back from judging so much because that's the one thing that started to bum me out about punk rock is the fact that so much judgment because punk rock was starting to build itself up in hardcore and everybody was like, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that, and, and I'm like, no, it's like. It's just, never mind the Bullocks, is a rock and roll record. There's nothing yeah, yeah. punk rock about that record other than the fact that... It's a little faster. Yeah, it's a little faster. Yeah. But, and, and, yeah. and people are EQing it and mastering it so the guitars and everything sound crunchy, but they knew. It's like, if this record's going to last forever, it's got to sound like it lasts forever. And that's what... I wish that someone in, in punk rock would have told us, like, the engineers, like, yo, make your music last forever, even if it's one chord. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Make it last. Figure out 
where you are tonally, you know what I mean? If you can't figure out musically where you are tonally, we all resonate a tone. It's easy to find, you know what I mean? You can look at one of your friends and it's someone that's your kindred friend that has that certain thing. You may not get along with every decision, but there's something about when you get together, if you think of something, you're like, oh yeah, that's a tone. Then you just, you, you analyze a person's life. What are they what are they wearing or what are they doing? And how does that influence me? And then there, there it is, there's the interaction because this, a musician has to do that. You know what I mean? It's like if this jazz guy is like, I'm over here, I know every note, I know every chord, I know every scale. And then you got the free jazz guy going, you know what, there is no notes, there are no scales, there's, no, there's nothing, it's all interpretation of, if I don't, if you don't have wind, you have nothing. You know what I mean? If you have air in your body, there's no notes. You know what I mean? And then those worlds come together and you get a sunrise. And then the sunrise like space is the place. Black people, you're caught. You're an illusion. You know, you're a myth just like anything else. I mean, it's in the movie, space is a place. He goes into this stuff. I, I, I don't even, I couldn't even imagine putting that movie out at that time. <laughs> no. I mean, he's just like shitting all over like the mindset of a, the black person. And he's doing it in such a way to where it's the, the, the footage is not gritty. It's, it's filmed properly. Yeah. Everyone's speaking proper English. No, you know what I mean? They're not yeah. like, you know, we were all trained at one point to be artists in, in this community. And that's what, to me, that punk rock brings back to all of us. Because all of a sudden now, as you said, there's all these documentaries coming out. But the reason why they're coming out is because everyone wants to say something but what are you saying? I mean, we're, we're putting this into a, a, a bowl of, of interpretation that 20 years from now, we have to leave it for someone else to like sift through this thing. And, and I'm intrigued with what you're doing because having a visual picture and having audio that people can choose to learn from, it's just like basically reading your favorite book with your favorite pictures in it. You can interpret what it is because it's not just the person taking the picture, it's the person printing the magazine. Mm -hmm. It's how that person that day is feeling when they're printing that magazine. It's the same way with music. It's like if I go in and write a song, it's however I'm feeling comes out. Now when I record that song, I can, if I log my notes, then I can go back into that thing, but then that's not art, that's just me perpetrating a moment that just came, a wave that hit me. And I want the same wave to hit me. And if you're in the ocean, there's no one wave. It's all different yeah, yeah, right. waves. It's all different currents. That's why they tell you, like, if the current's going sideways, believe me, you can get in the water and you'll find your ass a mile down the, the, the beach. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And in trouble if you don't respect this undeniable uncurrent. You know what I mean? This weird, this, this, and life is like, to me, like, the beach, you know what I mean? The music, punk, the whole thing. And I, I hope that all of these documentaries with this intact makes, gives people that sense of like, wow, these kids really stepped out and took the most basic form of music and made a legacy out of it. We're all important to this legacy. No one is left out of it. Even if you only sold one CD, or even if you only have one person hitting you up on YouTube, if you're out there saying, I saw this and I did this and I was, and then you're not trying to perpetuate that lifestyle on anyone. That's a form of art expression and Philadelphia as an arts community is, is ridiculous. I mean, the fact that punk rockers had Isaiah Zagar to like, to have around and he's still around today doing his art. I mean, the guy's like, you know, getting up there, but he still has that raw energy, you know, and I'm hanging out with his son a lot, and we just sit and talk about our kids, and we talk about us as kids, and we can look back on it and be like, wow, this is wow, it really happened. Life just flew by, you know what I mean? And now our kids are listening to Bad Brains and listening to Minor Threat and going back and doing all the, the homework, and now they get to visually see what they couldn't see, and not to mention we get to see it, because we couldn't see it like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we would have been like, we can't put that out. The Bad Brains are around. Minor threats around, we're not as good as them, or suicidal tendencies or whatever. You know what I mean? We could put out a fancy, but why would you put out a film? Or you know what I mean? You feel like we gotta kill ourselves first to put out a film, which is stupid, you know. And that's why Steve and Bruce were so important because they filmed the Husker Du show, which they, you know, we were around the first time they came to Philly. They played at Jeff Jenkins' house over in right right uh, behind Drexel, and Jeff Jenkins was. Uh, the main DJ at WKDU. He was the one, the one guy who broke all the bands. And there was another guy, Ed, who also was a DJ at XPN. I can't remember his last name, but between Ed and Jeff, those guys 
made the scene happen. But Jeff would actually open up his house and have full-blown shows. And, and, and Steve was, me and Steve and all these guys were all clicked up because we all skated and we all had this energy about it. But if we didn't have those guys pushing forward and saying, we have to document this. Yeah. Now is Jeff around some? Jeff Jeff passed. Ed uh, passed. Yeah, yeah, it sucks, man. Cause like that. That's the. Those are the two guys that know everything. I mean, like when Who's Gonna came in town, I was just so like into like everything falls apart that that record. I just I just hung out with those guys. I just I would not leave them. Like I went to KDU with them. I did their interview with. I just was just hanging with those guys. Like I just Bob Mold like basically showed me how to be a better guitar player. You know what I mean? Like, and I just still want to thank him for that because I would ask him, like, what do you do? And my father always told me to ask questions. My mom always told me to ask questions. Even if you felt that you were not worthy of those questions, if I ask the right question, I may get the right answer. And then yeah, yeah. Bob told me, oh yeah, you know what? We mix our own records. We master them. We, we do everything. We have our own studio. And I'm like, what? I'm like 19. Oh, no way. It's like, yeah, I have these NS10 monitors and all this stuff, things that I know now, but he is, it sounded like he was like, you know, talking about some like machine or some army tank or something. But it still sticks in your head though, right? Yeah, like yeah. It plants it's a little crazy. Seed. It's yeah. crazy, because it was like, I was 19, 19, McRae wasn't started yet. We're like, Zeke and, you know, had left FOD, and it was Ethan who actually works at Whole Foods now. He's like one of the managers there on South Street. So he's, we're all there at the show. Tristan wasn't there, who was like the, the our, kind of like our, European guy, you know, he was, you know, working at Skins, you know what I mean, he was just, so it was all of us hanging, and we were just like, yo, we got this band together, and we want a name, and then the bass player from Who's Gonna was like, uh, McTair, uh, I was like, okay, I'll take that from my skate crew, because I have me and these young kids from West Philly, and then he's like, McRad, and we're just like, that's it. I mean, like, that quick, just because we were hanging in, in a place, and I wish that moment would have been documented on film, but that was a moment that was like, we're looking up to these guys that are just like in a van, touring, great musicians, could play anything, any style of music, but they chose to play this music that, was, that would relate to us. Hmm. And on any given moment, they'd be on TV, and guess what happened? ZRK came out, <laughs> gone. They were everywhere. And then Bob Mould is now this I oh yeah it's an icon for sure yeah, yeah. And, you know and you would never think that that kind of guy would be rummaging around in a van, knowing that he was just as valuable as Keith Richards or any of those fuckers like mm -hmm. any of them like yeah. just you know what I mean and not that Bob's one of the best because Bubba Dupree from Void in D.C. to me is one of the best guitar players in the world like way ahead of his time was listening to Sabbath before I even could understand what Black Sabbath was. Because we played shows with Void, we played Government Issue, we played with the first time the Corrosion of Performing came in to yes. Philadelphia at CEC Center, right on Penn's campus. And it was me and Jeff Met, who's like another Philly guy that was around. I mean, we had this infrastructure of creativity. And it's, it's not just it's, it's Philly, it was just that Philly was a spot that demanded the respect for the arts. Mm -hmm. And if the punk rockers didn't know it, their parents knew it because there were people here that made something happen but didn't care to give it to the youth as much as we want to give this back to the youth. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where all of this is going to make sense because we know that our history means something to people because not people are lost, but they don't know that people are intrigued with making documentaries about something that's like really dark to a lot of people. Like we had like 50% less street lights in Philly, period. Yeah. So after a certain hour, night, it was dark as hell around here. Like you walk down the street, you can get jumped. Like nobody's, I mean, by the time they find you, they find, you know what I mean? And the cops are like raw anyway because they come from those neighborhoods. They know it. They're like, well, if you're dumb enough to be here on a street that's not lit, you're gonna get popped. So that's, then they started lighting up Temple. That was the first thing because a lot of kids would go up there for shows and a lot of kids started going to school up there and kids were getting handled. You know, you have to go to Albany and switch to go up to like people that went to Tyler School of Art. There was no other way to get up to Tyler but to stop at that Albany thing and get that bus. A lot of people got their asses handed to them, guys and girls. Yeah, yeah. Like lame. You're paying for an education in an art city. But we're, the minute you turn lights on, now everything is like, oh. It's like it backs off a little bit of the, the friction. Because it, it exposes people to be like, you know what, you're really doing something stupid. Why don't you just let the people that love their lives get on with it? If they come in your neighborhood and, and they disrespect you, yeah, you have a right to handle that. But enough with it. And that's what I really appreciated about Philly. Because 
Philly is a punk rock town. It did take a long time for it to come of it into its own age. Mm -hmm. Politically, you know, business-wise, like, you know, just emotionally, like, Philadelphia is still, like, hard for a lot of people to live here. Like, you can come here and, you know, get into it, but if you don't have your sense of who you are, this can be a rough <laughs> yeah, city, you know. And I don't want to take up too much of any of this, but what I would love to just get out is that I got a sense of like raw art from Philadelphia that I could never get any other place and I've moved out to Bucks County for the past you know two years and now I'm back in Philly on South Street and I'm, I'm starting to realize like wow like I have to give the city another chance because there is a story here and it's Philadelphia is tired of being run over but Philadelphia is never asked to be run over it's just the locals inside of it you know yeah. Ben Franklin Thomas Jeff William Penn all these fourth of July like what what else more do we need here like we have the biggest holiday out of any place in the world. Like, that's, he that's here. Mm -hmm. Like, when 4th of July pops off, the world is like, yeah, it's a whole new start. Okay. Get drunk, do whatever. You know what I mean? Do your thing. Because it's, it's, you know, I think that Ben Franklin and all those guys just said, you know what, the world needs to be a little freer on one day. Let, let, let's just let it all out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, that came from us. That came from... Maybe they, all those guys didn't live in this area, per se, as far as like tried and true Philadelphians or whatever. I mean, they lived all over, Delaware, whatever, but they centralized and organized the power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a, probably the biggest punk rock statement. They're saying later to England, later to all the big powers, we're gonna, we're gonna sit in a room, it's a bunch of sweaty men in big cloak, wigs, mold, everything, pissing, farting all over themselves, shitting all over themselves writing on a piece of paper July 2nd going like, we will create a sense of freedom for these people, even if it's on one day. Mm -hmm. That's pretty heavy. No other society's done that. Yeah, fortunately the sense of freedom extends beyond the day into like, right. you know, history going forward. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think any other city really has that, you know, other than like if you're like, you know, Mardi Gras or whatever, which is cool, it's a celebration, but 4th of July is like, no, men got together and just said, this is we have to make a mental change. That's an art statement. It's not a strategic. Yeah, it's a celebration of freedom, which yeah. is a you know, formidable thing to, right. to be celebrated. Right. And it's hard to even get freedom like that again. Like could 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 a bunch of men sitting in an office right now and make something cohesive for the size like the society of Philadelphia? I mean, we have everything we need. Like why 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 do we have to wait for a punk rock documentary to come out to be like, you know what, maybe we should go back and reduce some things because if you go back it's going to send you further back and you're not it's not going to date you it's just going to give you a sense of like wow if you just spray the art canvas of what philadelphia's done from start to finish you'd be blown away yeah yeah you know what i mean it's just that it hasn't been presented in enough of a, a, of a film doc yeah there needs to be somebody saying yeah. and then there's definitely going to be people on the other end listening to it yeah. so you know sure. they don't have to like think oh it was really great back then it's more like take the lessons that you learn from these people speaking and then right. like move forward to do something on your own, sure. you know, make up an expression that's new and unique to you and not regurgitating what somebody else did right. you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, Figure something out. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're running a, a little tight on time, but I do want to get into, so you were at the, the Buff Hall show yeah. in Camden. Uh, so I grew up in Camden County, so like close ah, to Camden, okay. but not certainly not in yeah, the city yeah. of Camden. And Camden, you know, has always been a nightmare. Got it. So like, yeah. how is it, how is it that there's a show there? Well, see, that's the thing about it. like Steve and those guys were putting on shows, and so what they figured was, well, we've had problems in Philly. Why don't we just, you know, if we get Minor Threat here, we have this hall. We'll get everybody there. It'll be in Camden. So people thought, okay, we'll get there. It'll be fine. Some of the people got there. We decided. The, everybody involved with the show, oh, we'll just take the train and skate there. We could stop by 15 dudes in the middle of the street. They're throwing beer bottles at us, everything. They get one of our friends, and they got him at knife point at his neck. Yeah. All of the elders that are with us at skating, they keep going down the street. So Are they aware of the fact that somebody's been caught in that? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Bruce and Steve, these men... And I'm just going to be candid of how I was in Philly back then at like age 19, like, you know, 18 going into 19. Like, I was like, okay, I was already used to Philly because I grew up in West Philly and I grew up in Delaware. So I knew how to handle myself. I knew how to hold my hands if I had to. These men start running off and I was like, these guys are a bunch of bitches. Fuck them. Like, they got my friend. 
he's from you know North Brunswick, New Jersey. If I gotta go back to his mom, I'd be like, sorry, your son got stabbed because my friend were a bunch of bishop yeah, punk yeah, ass fuckers. <laughs> they ran away. So me and my other friend Tom went back to get John. So two little bratty punk rock skateboarders are going up against fifteen black dudes from Camden. They let him go because they knew that like if we were gonna come in on him, we were coming in Serious. to hurt him. Yeah, like we yeah. were like, and because I don't want. We didn't, John was like a fragile guy, he was like screaming bloody murder in the middle of the street. No cops around, no nothing. We get to the show, we get him out of there, John's shaking. We get there, it's like, dude, Ian just got, almost got ran over. He's standing in the seat, getting in his van, and the van comes in, the car comes and knocks the van, knocks him off the van, he hits the back of his head. <laughs> Big red mark, you can see it in the video, like, the, you know, the video that they put out from Love Hall, you know, I'm in it, Zeke's in it, we're all in it. The crew, the original Philadelphia crew is, is there, skateboarding, that whole shit. And then he do, goes in and he's doing the show with a big old thing on his head. No doc, I don't think he got seen by a doctor or whatever. And he was just so dedicated. We're thinking like, why didn't he leave? Because he grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. He's thinking that like, if these, if these people only knew where I grew up, they would back off from me. Because I knew that if he, if he went to any of his friends and be like, yo, I got beef in Philly right now. DC people would have rolled up here with some shit and it would have been, it would have been raw. Because people in DC don't play around. You you don't go to DC and open your mouth and run because they will put it'll, it's not that type of a city. And it was amazing that we just all of a sudden started to view Camden as like, wow, they really don't like black people. They, I mean, they don't like punk rockers. They don't like like white people. They don't like. Ian was like, no, these people are frustrated. They can't believe that a bunch of raw teenagers are coming into this their ghetto and making a paradise out of it. And, and, and that just wasn't, I mean, people were in the club. There was a girl that was sitting on the stage that didn't want to get off stage. And someone tried to get off stage and her, and her boyfriend or her brother was in the crowd ready to, to beat the shit out of people. Some big black dude, you know what I mean? We didn't have, we didn't have that many big, crazy people. Now it's different. Somebody comes running up into a punk rock show now, you got so many different crews yeah, yeah. that they're going to get handled. But we had to learn by example. And that was, a, that was an extremely frightening show. Because I had to go home to my mom in West Philly and be like, Mom, you won't believe what happened. Because she was starting to work over in Camden as, as, you know, as a school teacher. And she knew you know, the, the area. And she was just like, I cannot believe you put yourself in that. And I'm like, yeah. Mom, this is for the music. Yeah. This is like, if minor threat's playing somewhere, and I'm, I have $5 in my pocket, I'm going. If somebody's going to run up on me, then they better take me out. Because I'm taking them out. You know what I mean? Because like, I, I don't want to miss... I would hate to be like, I'm not going to that show. I'm too much of a bitch to go to that show like, later. Because you had to be edgy to get out into seeing what was going on and to see that Ian didn't cancel the show. Most people would have canceled that show in a second. He did that show from top to bottom, smacking his head. I mean, if you're, he was basically in a van and he gets thrown up in the air and he's on his head. So you're talking like a five to six foot drop on your head. <laughs> Hot concrete, no helmet, bald head, lead singer of a band. It's like, no, I'm going to have somebody punch me in my head, I'm going to go sing a full set screaming. I mean, I can only imagine the pain that he was going through, you know what I mean? And it's just, yeah. it's just stupid that that had to happen. But when it was happening, I could feel it in my body now. We were like, we thought we were going to die when those dudes were throwing bottles at us. Yeah, yeah. But then it turned around that we had to prove ourselves as men. And it's just like, are you going to be a coward? Like, you can't just let people run you around. Like, they'll run you around wherever. I mean, people could just be going to see pink elephants. And if you look different, they, they may come after you. Or they just may say something to you because people are so fragile today that they can crush your spirits. So yeah. Yeah. you're going to carry this experience for the rest of your life. Yeah. At least you kind of know like, you did the right thing at that time. Right. So it doesn't haunt you. you know? No, I mean, it's, of, it's, it's crazy because yeah. you don't want someone to die just because they don't understand. You know, I mean, I had a good friend of mine just in New Hope just passed and it's killing me. You know, this, this girl, Sarah, she's great energy it's just passing oh she's gone i'm like okay cool and that's hard enough but to know that that my elder friends ran away from me and my other friend tom and john and left us to go find our friend i was just like that made me know i was like you know what my my crew is my immediate people that i know that will stick that have my back and that's what made punk rock and hardcore crazy because once that started happening then the ego got into it, and then it started creating more violence. But what it should have created was is we all look out for each other. If someone's on the floor, you pick them up. Hmm. If someone's on the floor and then you see somebody coming on them, you just try to brace the people. It's just a, it, it, there was a connection 
the circle pit connection where people are just like, yo, have some fun, just do your thing. Like, but all of that weird prancing, you know, left because of pressure. Oh, you got to now. You got to dance and do cool moves and like act like you're Bruce Lee on. You know what I mean? If, you know, yeah. do whatever. I'm like, nah, dude. Circle Pit was the best in the world, dude. It's like if you, it's like you're part of an organism. Yeah, it's all like kind of like moving in tandem rather than like trying to kill. Just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can still get your aggression out. I mean, it's just that you know the base, the the base, the basic aspect of punk rock and hardcore was just to to get away from the norm and to just say, you know what, enough is enough. At least give us our own space for a couple of years. And then bands figured out how to, to deal with that space and created this beautiful legacy. But the violence and, and the negativity and, and the judgment was just all because of how people view each other. And, and if people are blind, they're just going to see what they see. I mean, you could see uh, you know, an ethnic person and think whatever you think. It's just a, how your mind is. Until you see a different picture, that's what you see. But when you come out of violence, it's, you're seeing it and it's painful. And you, you're, you just want to hurt because you're hurting. There's no reason. If you're a trained fighter, go in the ring, make the money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Why? On the street, we're supposed to be civilians. You know what I mean? They fight wars. You know what I mean? Civilian life means you're a civilian. You create war on the street. Now the civilians aren't civilians. We're all military status now. There's cops everywhere, lights everywhere, video cameras everywhere. You know, we asked for all of this. We asked for every last bit of it. Punk rock didn't have any of that. You know what I mean? We created this thing that was outside of that norm. Mm -hmm. And if we can go back in and create that, not that we have to like feel like we're oppressed because of the digital age of how we're being watched. It's just that no, we created you know everything. Shepard, who's a huge artist, he came out of that that whole thing. Like all these different people, Stacy Peralta. I mean, they all come out of the, the punk rock movement. There's all this you know love there that was created because we had to protect ourselves. We didn't have cops at our shows going, we'll do security for you, they were like, later. Yeah. They only showed up to kick us out or find, they, the cops always found the biggest guy there that had the most attitude and they went right up to that person to show us an example. We'll go to your biggest person and yeah. we'll make them feel like shit. Yeah, so who do you think you yeah, are? Yeah, 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 and it's yeah. like, and, 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 and we were like, why do the cops do that? Because they're from the hard you know, neighborhoods of Northeast, South Philly, West Philly, they're punks themselves but they didn't have a music scene that would embrace their thing, so they turned into the, the system. The system creates whatever they want. Mm -hmm. These people still listen to music. You would think that it's hard that a police officer enjoys listening to music, or even partying, or even smoking out. They do, they gotta, they gotta alleviate the stress, but they do have a job, and their job is to, to, to micromanage people that don't have a direction. Yeah, yeah. And, and we as punk rockers had that, that, had that direction. So, of course, they wanted to come in and be like, what direction do they have? Let's go in and interrogate it. They did, and we turned them away. Like, you're not welcome here. Like, if you want to help us do security and keep these, the violence going down, cool, but you're not welcome if you're just going to come here and disrupt our shows and make us feel like now we got to go and find an investor and, 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 and just totally lop off, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's what had to happen. Love, Love Hall was that venue where it was like, we found the right people, the right vibes, and then cops would rarely ever show up because Broad Street, that section of Broad Street was undeveloped. There was no, you know, regentrification of whatever. You know, yeah, so there's no one to have friction with in the yeah. neighborhood because, uh, so. yeah. All right, Sorry gotta, for taking so much no, time. No, oh, no, absolutely no problem. I mean, it's yeah. been great talking to you. It's just yeah. because the next set of people okay. are coming because we started late than I have to. Yeah. But uh, Chuck, thank you very much. Uh, no problem. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it all makes sense. <laughs> uh,